Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Christian Church Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers who want to know Jesus and love like Him. Let's take a listen to this week's message. I want you to get to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to talk a little bit about how Matthew starts off the story of Jesus with Christmas. But before we get there, I don't know if it's like this at your house, but at my house, when it comes to Christmas, most everything is expected. Is it that way at your house? Like, and I say it this way, most of the things that we do, whether it be traditions or different things, we kind of have an expected schedule that happens for us every Christmas. And so you may have that, but here's what happens for us at Christmas. I can expect these things. They're totally expected. These traditions, stockings happen at our house. Like we spend the last couple weeks leading up to Christmas where we just run around. My wife is amazing at this, but we have stockings that sit out and we just buy little trinkets and little things for the kids. They get things for us and we just fill up those stockings that we open on Christmas morning. Sibling gift exchange. Like we draw names out of the hat, the kids draw one name and then they get a certain amount of money and they get to go shopping, get whatever they want for that kid. So that's another thing. Um, we, elf and Christmas vacation. Like, is that a staple tradition in your house? Like, Christmas vacation only because I like it. My family thinks that my level of humor is pretty low. And so they ratcheted it up with Elf and are like, we got to watch Elf. And so that happens every year at Christmas. Christmas morning, I've talked about it before, my wife's scones, they're to die for. Like, if the scone, anything else could happen on Christmas, but if the, if the scones don't happen, man, the world will end. It's 2020. I don't know if that's the way it'll be, but... There's those things that you have, that everything you think about Christmas, it's expected, right? Now, if you step back and look at this year, 2020, just about everything in 2020 has been unexpected. Would you agree? I mean, since March 15th, life has just gone crazy, and it has been an unexpected year, which kind of fits with Christmas, does it not? Not our Christmas, but with the first Christmas, I mean, you step back into the book of Luke, Luke 1 and 2. You step into the book of Matthew, Matthew 1 and 2, and you read the Christmas stories. Man, there is nothing about the Christmas story that was expected. Everything was unexpected. I mean, angel announcements. No angel had shown up to a prophet or a teacher or a leader for over 400 years in the biblical account. And all of a sudden, angels start showing up to Mary and Elizabeth and others and and saying, this is what's going to happen. It was totally unexpected. Then you just step right into Christmas Eve, that first Christmas Eve. There's nothing about that night that was expected. I mean, Joseph was expecting to get a room in the inn. (laughs) Joseph was expecting that his wife was going to have a baby, not going to have a a baby, and then put it in a manger, a feeding trough. I'm sure Joseph looked at Mary and said, babe, it's, it's 2020, right? It's just the way it is. I mean, it was that kind of feel when you walked into Christmas, that first Christmas, everything was unexpected. Here's a crazy thing. When you read the accounts that the biblical writers write, so Matthew writes about the birth, Luke writes about the birth, John and, and, and Mark do not address the birth at all. But those two, when they address the birth, it's actually pretty unexpected about how they address it. So Luke writes to a Gentile audience. When he jumps in, he doesn't even deal with the right baby. Like Luke jumps in and he starts writing about Zachariah and about Elizabeth and ultimately the baby John the Baptist. That's where the story starts. You get into Matthew, you start with Matthew, he doesn't even start with a baby. Matthew begins in the first 14 verses or so, Matthew or 16 verses, Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus. So he tells the family tree. 
tells the stories of the people, which we recognize many of them. I'll read it in just a moment. You'll recognize many of the stories that are included. But you'll get a genealogy, and to us, kind of the family tree, some people really get into that. Like, I don't know if your family, if you've got something on your wall that shows family tree, I don't know if any of you have done the DNA test that they have out there. Some of you have done that. You've gone in and you like do the DNA test. It tells you where, what part of the world you come from. Some of you know your tra- family tree and you've actually tracked the people back. I know that my family comes from like the backwoods of Kentucky, so I don't want to know <laughs> like who's in my, my family tree kind of deal. But it's not really a big deal for us. You step into family trees and genealogies for Jewish people, back into Jewish history, it's the thing. Like understand, like historically for Jewish people, for traditional Jews in that time, a genealogy was a resume. Okay, catch that thought for a second. What do we do with our resumes? We include the really good things, do we not? We include the people that are going to, references are going to say really great things about us. We doctor that resume up. We do anything we can to get the opportunity for the job. We omit a few things that might be less than professional or maybe some stories that we don't want people to know about. Understand this, genealogies for Jewish people in that day afforded them opportunity. Here's the people in your line. Here's the stories in my family line. Here's the bloodline I come from. Here's the high level of people that we are. We've got awesome running through our veins. It should provide us opportunity. Or here's the bloodline that we need to omit a few stories. Like we need to just expunge this person and this person because it puts a bad light on the family name and what it does is it decreases our opportunity. Family lines showed what part of the tracks, which side of the tracks that people came from. And literally what Jewish people would do is they would doctor their genealogies to afford themselves more opportunity. You get to Jesus' genealogy and that idea doesn't fit. Someone once said this, that everything you want to know and need to understand about the gospel is contained in the genealogy of Jesus. You might say, Sean, what do you mean? Well, let's get to it. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 1, starts off with the genealogy, and Matthew just declares, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. He starts with Jesus. Just says, I'm not just going to give you the genealogy of Jesus the carpenter from Nazareth. I'm going to give you the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. So this is a big deal, okay? Here's what it says. This is a genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We're starting off pretty well. I mean, David was considered to be the greatest king in Israel's history. Abraham was the father of their faith. I mean, he's setting it up to, here's the storyline, the bloodline of this guy. Abraham was the father of Isaac. It keeps going. It's going well. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. If you didn't catch that, those are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jacob had the 12 sons. They were the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So again, we're just stacking up this line to be really good, afford Jesus all kinds of opportunity. It says, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Hold up for a second. We've mentioned Tamar and we've mentioned Rahab, two women. There's going to be more women. Women were not mentioned in genealogies. Not only were women not mentioned in genealogies, women that didn't hold the highest reputations never made any list. Tamar, I won't tell you the story because it's (laughs) R-rated. 
You want to step in here and, and to look at Rahab. What was Rahab's, um, what was her job? She was a prostitute. These are the people that are included in Jesus' line. It goes on. It says, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, another woman. But here we go. What's, what is the issue with, the, with Ruth here? Ruth was a Moabite. She wasn't even an Israelite. You go through the Old Testament, you find all these times where Moab treated Israel horribly. Moab, Moab would come in and take them captive. They would withhold resources from them. They would do all kinds of things where God finally sent a prophet to say, if there's anybody I'm going to wipe off the face of the earth, it will be the Moabites. Yet Ruth gets included in the genealogy of Jesus. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. Hey, we're getting better here. King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. If you don't know that story, that was Bathsheba, the woman that David committed adultery with and then ultimately killed her husband to cover up the issue. Her husband, who was one of his main bodyguards and one of his best friends, he committed murder and he committed adultery. I'll spare you the next 10 verses of so-and-so begat so-and-so and begat so-and-so and all of that. It ends with this. Matthew 1.16 says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Why is all that important? There's a couple of reasons that's really important. Matthew starts off his genealogy. There's a guy named Timothy Keller that's probably one of the greatest theologians and preachers of our time. And he's written a ton of books. In his book, A Hidden Christmas, he writes and he says that the way people start stories is really important. Because the way people start stories tells us what kind of story it actually is. And so Timothy Keller goes into this whole idea and he says, he says we understand what kind of story it is. If, it, if it's, if it's a, a fairy tale, how do fairy tales start? Once upon a time, right? Once upon a time. We understand it. If it's a fantasy, we get fantasies to start all different ways. But you would recognize this one that talks about in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars, right? Here's what we understand about the stories. They have great principles. They're creative. They're characters within them. They all have kind of this story of evil, and there's someone who is fighting against evil, and finally there's a hero that overcomes and, and is courageous and risks everything, but finally the battle is won. The damsel in distress is saved, and it's kind of the same stories with the same principles, and we use those principles to teach our kids. We use those principles to teach our kids good things and the way to live life and how to have courage and how to stand up with integrity and how to tell the truth and all of those things. But when it really comes down to it, we know that those stories aren't true. They have good principles, but they're not true stories. Timothy Keller goes on to say that Matthew starts out his genealogy or the story of Jesus, the story of Christmas with the genealogy to make a point that these things really happened. He says, you need to understand that Jesus teaches a whole lot of things, incredibly good advice, great things, great truths throughout, but what you need to understand is you can believe in the gospel, not just because of what Jesus taught, because it actually works out in life, because there's a whole lot of religions that teach good things in life that'll make your life better. But in the end, none of those religions actually care whether or not their founder ever existed. Like if you're a Buddhist, Catch this, if you're a Buddhist, man, your goal in life is to find peace, to find nirvana, to find all that, and, and, and to, to find peace in your life. And you know what? If you follow Buddhist practices, you will probably find some peace. 
But does any Buddhist actually care if Buddha ever lived? No. You see, when you step back into what Matthew wrote, Matthew starts with the genealogy to say two things. He says, you need to understand that these are events that really happened. Like, you can believe this because you can track back into history and see these people actually lived, that Jesus walked the face of this earth, and if you can believe those things, you can actually believe that the things he did in this life actually happened. Here's the interesting thing about Christianity. Jesus taught some incredible truths. Jesus gave some incredible advice. But the foundation of Christianity is not built upon the advice that Jesus gave. The foundation of Christianity is built upon what Jesus actually did. His birth, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And the whole truth of that is to understand, to come back around and to understand that if Jesus really existed and he really did these things, they're actually available to us. Timothy Keller says it this way. He says, the gospel is not just good advice. The gospel is good news. The gospel is not just a good advice if we follow, because what is good advice? Good advice is something that you receive, that you, you follow, that you try to do, and the results are dependent upon who? They're dependent upon you. If you put that advice into action, what is good news? Good news is not something you do. Good news is simply something you receive. It's simply something that you receive. And when you step back in the genealogy, I think there is such a truth and a beauty in looking at the genealogy of Jesus and seeing that Matthew did not expunge, he did not erase, he did not write out the stories of the people in the genealogies that messed up, that lived lives that just didn't measure up, that weren't qualified. What Matthew did is he wrote them in. He wrote them into the story to tell us that this is truth, but not only this is truth, but you and I can actually qualify to be a part of the line of Jesus. David Platt wrote this. David Platt said this. He said, these people were included in the line leading up to Jesus so that we could believe that we could be included in the line leading from Jesus. I think there's so many of us in life, and I have been there myself. I grew up in a pretty traditional church, and I just tell you this, that there was so much in me growing up that it was about following the rules, that every time I broke the rules, no matter how big or how small, there was just that deep-seated feeling of guilt. Like some of you grew up in, in traditions, religious traditions, where it was all about this guilt trip of what you have done or what you have not done and whether you qualify and if you go and ask forgiveness enough and if you do this many things that... Man, you just look who Jesus came to hang out with, and everybody's qualified. You see, the gospel is not about merit. Man, the gospel is a gift that we received. It's interesting. Um, Mark Twain says it this way, heaven goes by favor. If it went by merit, you would stay here, and your dog would make it to heaven. <laughs> I mean, guys, actually, at our home, we'd have one dog that would make it to heaven. The other one, I guarantee, would not make it. But here's the deal. Man, for you and I, I, think there's so many of us that we just write ourselves out of the story. We're like, I know what kind of life I've lived. I know what kind of things I've done in the dark. I know, I know what kind of things that I've done in relationships. I know what kind of lies I've told. I know the messes that I've got myself in and others in. I know the addictions that I've had. Some of you say, well, it's not been big things, but I, I'm not that good. Dude, just read this story. Read this story, and you're an angel compared to half the people in this genealogy. 
And you take the one guy in this genealogy that God says, he's a man after my own heart. David commits adultery and then kills one of his best friends. Looks back later and says, what have I done? Why did I do that? God, would you please forgive me? And the interesting thing is David has to go through the consequences of his sin. But God says, David, I receive you back and I forgive you. The picture of the genealogy is just saying, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. You do not have to live in the guilt that you have experienced. That's not God. That's something else. That's the lies of Satan trying to push into us saying, you will never qualify. Man, God qualifies you not by what you've done. God qualifies you by what Jesus did. And that's what the whole gospel is about. And you read through the genealogy and you read these messed up stories and you realize that I can be written into this story because God's made it available for me. It's interesting in the genealogy, you go on to verse 17 and In verse 17, Matthew wraps up the genealogy and he gives some explanation. And there's some explanation that has to do with numbers. And we do some weird things with numbers in the Bible. People are always trying to predict things with numbers and that. But there are some instances. We've gone through this series on Revelation. I'd encourage you to go back and watch some of that. There's always numbers and dates and things that God used in the Old Testament that are always kind of pointing. It's almost the sign that is pointing, go this direction and wait for this and know that this is coming. I'm going to give you a number or a date or a feast or, or something to celebrate that's going to celebrate something in the past, but it's also going to point to something much better in the future. Here's what, what Matthew writes. Matthew 1 verse 17, he says, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to, and to, uh, to Babylon. And 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So for all you engineers out there, you're going to geek out on this, all right? But but here's the thing. When you go back into the Old Testament, the number seven, so we just said 14. What is 14? 14 is two sevens. Okay, there was three parts of the genealogy. There's divided up into sections of times of history, but also three sets of 14. A 14 is two sevens. Seven was a really important number. It was was a number that, that was the idea of Um, rest and it was also the idea of completion so if you step back into the old testament when the ten commandments were given one of those commandments was about the seventh day what was that day it was a sabbath right so on the seventh day they were to rest they could do no work it was about resting and connecting themselves with god interesting thing on the seventh year so when you got to the seventh year there was a year of rest for the land And so to replenish the nutrients in the land so the crops would grow well and all that, God said, store up, and then that year, do not plant anything, let the land rest, and it was a year of rest for the land. So sevens were were really important. Then you go into, and there was this idea on the seventh section, or the seventh seven, or the seventh happening of seven years. So seven times seven is what? 49. On the 49th year was the year of Jubilee. And so what the year of Jubilee was, was the year of Jubilee was the opportunity where God said for all of the Israelite people, anyone who had debt, their debt was forgiven. Would that not be incredible? Like, think of it, man, 2020 could go terrible, anything could happen, but if I told you this is the year of Jubilee and your credit cards were like eliminated, your house debt was gone, this would be the greatest year ever. 
That's what happened on the year of Jubilee. Like all debt was erased. Not only was all debt erased, all slaves were set free. So there would be bond servants and slaves where you couldn't pay for something. You owed someone something. And so what you would do is you would sell yourself as a bond servant or slave to that person to work for them. On the year of Jubilee, every slave was set free. There's some allusion in the book of Daniel and then in Leviticus 25 where it, it explains the year of Jubilee. It says that last section of seven years leading up to the, Jew, or to the year of Jubilee was to be a holy section of years that would end in the year of Jubilee. Matthew writes his, his genealogy and he organizes it in a way where it's three sets of 14 or six sets of seven and Jesus begins... Jesus is the beginning of the seventh seven. Commentators all over the place agree that Matthew was purposely, because he was writing to a Jewish audience, he was saying to this Jewish audience, you need to understand that Jesus is the ultimate year of Jubilee when all the debts are erased, when all the slaves are set free, when you find rest. All of that's coming back to this idea of Matthew was saying he begins his genealogy with Jesus and he ends it. He says this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. He includes all these names to show us that we can be included and then he wraps up and says this is uh, Joseph and Mary and Jesus the Messiah. And he wraps up with just saying this is the one. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you've done it's not about what you've accomplished it's not about how good you've been it's not about how bad you've been all this thing centers around jesus christ and because of that all these people can be included and so can yours and through jesus every debt you have of sin can be eliminated every debt you have of being a slave to sin and slave to the things of this world can be eliminated through jesus christ and through placing our faith in him and again, I think so many of us, we sit back and we say, I could never be qualified, or I hope I am. Man, I've believed in Jesus, and I've given, some of you have given your life to Jesus and been baptized, but you're still in that spot of saying, well, I hope I am. And we sin, and we mess up, and we do things that are wrong, that, and, and we feel the guilt, and we ask forgiveness over and over and over and over again. Have you ever done that where you sinned in a way where maybe you hurt someone, or you did something that you've been trying to quit forever, and you ask forgiveness like for the next 30 days straight with Jesus? And Jesus is going up there going, can we just get on with something else? Because I like forgave you for that. Like, I took care of that at the cross. We said this, man. I am the one that frees you from your sin. I am the one that just cancels all the debt. And you don't have to keep asking these questions if you're okay. You are set free if you have placed your faith in Jesus. There's a story about, a true story about a judge that um, is in Columbus, Ohio. It was quite a few years back, and a reporter came to this judge, and the judge is in an area in a city where there's quite a bit of crime, and, and there's, there's a lot of prostitution. There's um, a lot of different things around that area, and this judge has two young daughters, the two young daughters at the time, and this reporter came to him, and he said, man, when all these people come before you, especially these young ladies, he said, what do you, what do you want to say to them? Like, what is it that you just, you just wish you could just reach out and say, and he said, man, when I started becoming a judge, when I first sat at the bench, I would, I would look at these girls, and I would see the faces of my daughters, and I would just look at them and I just want to say, what did you do? Why did you do that? 
Why are you doing these things? Don't you know that they harm you? And don't you know that you were here last month? (laughs) And you were here a year ago. And some of you I've seen multiple times. What are you doing? He said, man, the deeper I got into my faith, I began to change that question. The question changed in my mind to not what are you doing and why have you done it? The question was, what happened to you? Like, what happened to you that you're choosing this lifestyle? Who hurts you? Who hurts you or who puts you in this position? What happened to you that you think you have to do this in your life to support yourself? And what happened to you? He goes on and he says, the more I've read the Bible, the more that I've understood my faith, the more that I've understood the compassion of Jesus, I just wish I could stop my courtroom. I wish I could get down off of my bench. I wish I could go down to those girls and I wish I could look them in the eye and say, do you know what's been done for you? Because if you know what's been done for you and you knew how much you were loved, this wouldn't be your story. You can have a different story. I think as we step back, I think there's a piece for us that we need to look at ourselves sometimes and we need to ask ourselves what questions we're asking. Sometimes I think we sit down and we ask ourselves and we say, man, what am I doing? Why am I doing these things? And we beat ourselves up and we beat ourselves up with guilt and we we run ourselves through the ringer and we just ask ourselves these questions over and over and over again. And I think some of us, we sit in and we look at our lives and we look at where we've ended up and we also look at some of the tough things that have happened to us and we keep asking that question, man, why did this happen to me? God, why did you allow this to happen to me? And that's a huge question. That is a deep question. God, why do you allow bad things to happen to good people? I think we got to ask ourselves the question. We got to stop and start asking a different question to ask ourselves, do we realize what's been done for us? Because what has been done for us, it may not erase the pain of some of the moments that we've had of things we've done or have been done to us, But what has been done for us can give us hope for a different future. You see, the the message that Matthew was trying to give with the genealogy, it gets all the way to the end, and he says, this is Jesus, the Messiah. The message of the genealogy is that the best is yet to come. Like from the moment Jesus was born into this world, the opportunity came when he went to the cross, he died, he stretched out his arms, he gave his life for us, and he made it the opportunity for us to just simply receive, to believe and receive, not do, not accomplish, not earn, not qualify. He says, man, the only people that are qualified for this thing are the ones that don't think they're qualified. The ones that just believe and receive and start asking the question, what does it mean what's been done for me and how should I respond to that? For some of you today, how you should respond to that is being buried in the waters of baptism and having the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus applied to you because of your faith. And for some of you who have done that already, it's just a reminder to start asking the question, how am I living in light of what's been done for me? How am I sharing with others? Does my life match up with what's been done? The graciousness of God that has been given to me ought to motivate me. I'm not judged by it. I don't qualify by it. But I do let others know the good news of what Jesus has done by it. And I, I think what you're going to see today is there's been a lot of things in 2020 that have been quarantined. 
There's a lot of people, some of you have, man, there's a lot of businesses, a lot of things. We just like quarantine is our word. Man, one thing you need to understand today is the gospel is not quarantined. Man, it started from the moment that Jesus got here and it has continued on and you're going to see 35 people that have given their lives to Christ and declared, man, the gospel is available for me. If you haven't received Jesus as your Savior and you want to get baptized today, I'd encourage you to meet Amanda, our campus pastor, right down here and get baptized with the other four or five here and 15 or 16 at Fred during this service. We'd love to see that happen. If you're sitting at home and you want to do it, let us know and let's do it next week. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you today and as we celebrate these baptisms, God, we just thank you for your story. And we thank you that our stories can be included in yours. Doesn't matter if we feel like we measure up or not, you did, and you did for us. So God, thank you for not judging us. Thank you for just doing what it took to save us. Father, I pray that we'll receive it. Father, as we celebrate these baptisms today, we're so excited to see these people connect their lives to you because of their faith. And so bless them, guide them, and impress upon them the freedom that they have because of believing in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.